0: Hello and welcome to PEI Media's Spotlight Podcast. I'm Chase Collum, a Special Projects Editor with PEI, and today I'm joined by Alistair Goldfisher, Chris Witkowski, and Graham Pippart, editors of Venture Capital Journal, Buyouts Magazine, and Private Fund CFO, respectively. While I generally like to avoid talking about politics at work, today I'm going to make an exception because politics are certainly top of mind for many of our listeners as a new Democrat-controlled Congress and administration prepares to take charge of the United States federal government. Before we get into what's to come, let's lay the groundwork. One thing I think we can all agree on is that 2020 was an unprecedented year. So, Graham, let's start with you. What are some of the recent developments at the state and federal government level that we should be taking in mind when considering where things might be heading in 2021?
1: Well, I think that the big thing that one of the big things that the industry is going to be looking out for based on last year is increasing congressional oversight of the industry and the business sectors that it interacts with. In November of 2019, there was a somewhat sensationalized hearing called America for Sale at the House Financial Services Committee that actually was a major success in the eyes of the industry, being that many Democratic representatives acknowledged the role PE plays in their local economies. But the event itself indicated, as well as subsequent events in 2020, indicated that there's just a much greater concentration from politicians on the PE industry. One of the things that was brought up at that hearing by Wayne Moore, you repeatedly tried to bring up um, the need from an investor's perspective of transparency. On fees and expensive, he was largely kind of brushed aside at the hearing. But I think that now that there's a major expectation that that will be an issue that comes back to the table under a Democratic Congress and the Joe Biden administration, whether that's somehow legislated or affected through a regulatory body like the SEC. You know, speaking of the SEC, there's going to be a lot of concentration on who is nominated for various regulatory positions, and I think there's an expectation of increased regulatory pressure. At the moment, uh, the talk is that Gary Gensler, the former M&A banker and head of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, will be made chair of the SEC. And he has a heavy focus on investor protections. And I think that that's going to lead a lot of people to expect a lot more focus from the SEC on that and potentially rolling back or deprioritizing certain initiatives that were started under the Jay Clayton SEC. There will be new heads for the CFPB, which will potentially have an effect on portfolio companies, potentially new heads for the OCC and other banking regulators and, you know, leverage is always, systemic leverage is always an issue politically, especially in recent years. It's always been an issue for certain Democrats, I think. And, you know, there's a chance that um, leverage limitations or something could come back into play that could affect the way banks interact with private equity firms. And of course, yeah, I think there's an expectation of increased enforcement. Allison Heron lee and Caroline Crenshaw are the two Democratic commissioners. They're about to become the majority. They both expressed a desire to see more liability on the part of investment managers written into rules. And the OCIE's risk alert over the summer is sort of seen as a roadmap for examination and enforcement actions going forward that outlined such things as MNPI policies and procedures. And fees and expenses uh, was noted as a problem for some funds. I think people, some people expect there to be some initiatives from the SEC enforcing more heavily on those things. In fact, a, a lawyer told a colleague of mine recently, you know, we ain't seen nothing yet in terms of enforcement if you thought last year was bad. But I think people expect a certain amount of initiative from the SEC to get more reporting out there in terms of the, the sort of metrics of what they're looking at and enforcing on. Uh, when it comes to, like
2: the fees and expenses, and, and Graham, I'm I'm glad that you brought some of that stuff up. I'd just be slightly skeptical of exactly how far a Biden administrative SEC is going to go in terms of enforcement, because you know we saw enforcement under the Obama administration and we saw enforcement under. Trump administration and enforcement still happened in private equity. Exams still went on. You know, GPs still received their slaps on the wrist. Some of them got heavier uh, punishment. But to me, I, I didn't get the sense that there was a huge dialing back of the examination regime of private equity or the appropriate, you know, remedial activities that, that took place for those funds that had some kind of breach of regulation.
1: No, I, I think that that's right. I mean, the, you know, there have always been increasing amounts of enforcement levels over the years, and I don't think that there was, like, a step back from examinations or enforcements from the J. A. Clayton SEC, but, you know, I think one person put it a while to me ago, like, the SEC is the enforcement division now you know, enforcements are only going to increase over the years. And with somebody, say, like a Gary Gensler, who's very investor protection focused at the head of it, you can probably see a doubling down of not just rulemaking that involves greater investor protection, potentially liability for people who break the rules, but also just a partially natural further increase in enforcement investigation.
2: I've talked to people on the limited partner side of the business, and there is there's sort of a wish list of things that they're hoping a Biden SEC can push through without having to go through a legislative process. Uh, one of those things is, to, j- just as an example, to make what are known as SEC uh, deficiency letters, which are letters that the SEC will send to any GP after an examination to say, here's the stuff that we think you need to fix. Much of the time those are very minor issues. Sometimes those are major issues and can lead to potentially in the future enforcement. But those letters, there's no standard practice for what happens to those letters. Do they get shared with the LP base? do they disappear into a GP vault forever? There is no standard practice. Uh, uh, My understanding is a lot of GPs will simply outline those, the findings, and that's kind of it, but not share the actual document. Some GPs will say, if you want to see the document, you have to come on site and and you can read it on site. And I understand that there's going to be a push from various groups, like I believe ILPA, to get the SEC to just sort of have rulemaking around this to mandate that these letters are shared from GPs to LPs. So that would be an interesting move, I think.
0: I'm glad you guys brought all that up, and you know I think a lot of times when we look at the change of an administration, we look at the headline figures of you know Biden, and you see names like uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and Sherrod Brown and folks like that who are sitting in the Senate in the executive office. But a lot of the work of government happens at these committees and these different aspects of the administration. But let's take let's turn to the administration and let's turn to the federal government uh, at large, as it were. And and let's talk about one of the, the big headline figures, which is taxes and tax rates. You know, death and taxes are the sure things in life, but in the United States, taxes are no longer a certain thing. You know, you have taxes going down under the Trump administration, and now President Joe Biden said he supports hiking that rate back up to 28%. I mean, first of all, how likely is that increase? tax rate to happen over what are ostensibly the next two years of Democrat majority? And how long would it take for something like that to run up the chain, do, do you guys think?
2: I am not in the business of predicting that, <laughs> predicting anything. Uh, it, it does seem like there's going to be a lot of momentum, at least in these first two years, to either you know increase corporate tax rate or increase capital gains. And I think that's where private equity is going to be watching. Um, That's something that I wrote about recently, and and that is that Senator Ron Wyden is set to take over finance committee in the Senate, and he is somebody who has signed off on an increase in in the capital gains rate to the same rate as uh, ordinary income. If that's the case, then what we're talking about is carried interest being taxed at the same level as ordinary income. And that is something that, I don't know, critics of private equity or, or other, <laughs> however you want to describe it, has been trying to attack uh, the way performance fees are taxed. It's called the carry interest loophole, as I'm sure everybody's aware of. And it's, it's sort of been a bipartisan effort, at least vocally, that the carry to interest loophole should be closed. Since 2007 is as far back as I can remember this debate, uh, no administration has been able to coalesce around this issue. So now these two years seem to be a pretty good window of opportunity. If this tax rate is ever going to be changed, it could be now. That's going to be one thing that that uh, the industry is watching very closely is to see what happens with the uh, carry tax. Right. Yeah. And and you
0: mentioned the change of committee control. You know, I I think there are other committees that folks are going to be watching. The Banking Committee, uh, Sherrod Brown is taking over that in the Senate. Sherrod Brown was a supporter of Senator Elizabeth Warren's Stop Wall Street Looting Act. And the infamous Senator Bernie Sanders is taking charge of the Budget Committee. So, I mean, with all these in, in mind, how impactful do you think these changes of control are going to be for the Senate agenda moving forward?
2: Elizabeth Warren's proposal, that's where I'm focusing in the first few months of the administration because when it came out, that was just sort of a aiming for the sky type proposal. That would fundamentally change the way private equity operates. It would hit some of the traditional pillars of the industry including the way carried interest is taxed, the ability for GPs to write off interest expense from their portfolio companies, which is a major calculation in in the GP's deal-making. It would also, uh, there's a uh, provision in there that would make firms liable for making sure that pensions are funded in the case of bankruptcies. There's several different issues that would hammer away at how private equity operates right now. And so, that's not to say that I think that that proposal will become law you know, as it stands today, but, and I've talked to a few different sources on this, the feeling is that at the very least that proposal is going to get a public hearing, which it really hasn't been afforded. Since it came out, uh, which I believe was in 2019 was when that was proposed, I think. There was an, an announcement when they put this proposal together, and that was kind of the end of it. And we wrote about it, and then you never heard about it again. So the feeling is that that thing will be dusted off. It'll be put in front of the public in hearings. And from there, who knows where it goes? But at the very least, that's going to bring some big attention to the industry and the idea that maybe th- things need to fundamentally change in the way that private equity operates. So that's what I'm going to be watching for the first half here, see how much attention that th- that proposal gets. So jumping off of a lot of what Chris said,
3: I, I think it is likely that taxes will be brought up in Congress. But, you know, I don't know if the venture capital uh, community is you know chewing their nails worried about carried interest tax because as chris pointed out you know it's it's talked about in every administration but you know we have yet to see anything of value happen or anything substantial happen in terms of changes one thing you have to keep in mind is that we didn't really have a blue wave in the election. Thanks to the Georgia runoff, there is a 50-50 split in the Senate and because of Vice President Harris, the tie will will go to the Democrats, but there wasn't a big overwhelming progressive blue wave. So Biden's tax plans, you know, show that, you know, he wants to do away with the carried interest tax and make it make the loophole meaningless because of the plan changes in the capital gains tax. But, you know, if I was a betting man, I'm not so sure that carried interest will be that impacted by the new administration. But if it is, it'll happen in the first couple of years, as Chris says, because in less than two years, we have a a midterm election and who knows what will happen after that.
0: Right. So so in that case, the the nail biting won't have to go on too long if it is happening. Um, Graham, did you have anything you wanted to add in here?
1: I agree with Chris on the fact that I think the, the Warren bill will get a hearing again, but I think that given the slim margin of control over Congress, it's very unlikely that it will survive in the form that we saw it previously. Uh, but a lot of the issues nonetheless will be on the table. And I think that there is an expectation by some people and a real fear that capital gains tax and carry tax will become issues and we'll see how the budget progresses, but that it could be included in what's the, known as the expedited reconciliation process that budgets are approved under Bernie Sanders's committee.
2: Also, I'd be interested to see, outside of the legislative process, I'm going to be interested to see if limited partners feel any sense of empowerment under a Biden administration around issues like ESG, diversity, which we've seen LPs become increasingly uh, more concerned with, especially diversity since since George Floyd and the protests over the summer, but also climate change and, and other ESG issues. I am interested to see if LPs feel even more flexibility to go even harder at their managers, to demand accountability around, we want to see how you're improving diversity over time and you know, report back to us on a consistent basis about how you're improving this issue. Some firms are pretty good at this, but that's generally the biggest firms in the market. For the most part, the majority of the industry has not made a lot of moves around these sorts of issues, ESG issues. So under a Biden administration, I'd I'd like to see if that's going to change at all. And we often talk about the passive LP, and it, it is a passive relationship, but the LP controls the purse strings. And so there is potentially a lot of influence, a lot of pressure that they can exert on their GPs. And we'll see it once in a while on certain issues. Years ago, after Sandy Hook, we saw a couple of the biggest pensions decide that they want nothing to do with gun makers or any sort of affiliated type businesses around gun makers. And that put a lot of pressure on, on a lot of firms that had exposure to that. And so, I, you know, I would like to see on occasion LPs uh, flex their muscles a little bit in, in ways that they're usually unwilling to. And especially around an issue like diversity. I mean, that's just something that has, we've seen such slow progress in terms of putting women into leadership positions in the industry, helping uh, diverse-led firms uh, find capital, things like that. Uh, and I, I really think that LPs could go far in helping to move this issue along by applying some pressure through the wallets, really.
3: Biden has said he's going to spend a couple of trillion dollars on clean energy projects. So I think the E and ESG is, is definitely going to get a lot of attention. And in the venture community, I mean, it's a pretty broad sector, description, but climate tech is getting increased attention. We're seeing funds dedicated to that and lots more deal activity around that area. So definitely firms are taking notice of ESG and especially the environmental part.
0: Alistair, I'd love to go into some of the more positive developments uh, from the VC angle in a second here, but uh, looking at this private equity side uh, before we get there, are there any industries that you folks think are likely to come under more scrutiny under the new government? Um, You know, private prisons would come to mind. Are there any others that you think that private equity investors should be taking a closer look at?
1: I'm not a healthcare expert but healthcare is certainly something that um, there's been a lot of political focus on in recent years especially PE ownership of and there have been some high profile kind of messes I guess that have drawn a lot of public attention and I think that that's one area that you would ex- potentially expect to see is political pressure on the industry um, potentially regulatory pressure again it'll de- it'll depend on the nominations that uh, Biden makes but a new head of the CFPB could have a, a pretty strong influence on A lot of different sectors that comprise meaningful aspects of of the PE industry. I'll
2: just add here that I think that we will continue to see pressure on firms and also managers focus on ways to beef up their security, their cybersecurity. After the SolarWinds hack, SolarWinds, of course, is private equity backed. And um, we've seen a few private equity backed companies like that have information breaches. And so I think that this is going to become one of the most important issues that private equity firms have to deal with when they're considering buying a company in their due diligence, when they're sort of performing analysis on a potential target, they have to know where the vulnerabilities are. And not not only today, but five years down the line, I mean, it, it's become essential, you know, this year and, and for the next decade and who, who knows how long that's going to be one of the main focuses, I think, for investment firms.
0: Great. Yeah. And so... Trying to end on a positive note here, Alistair, you mentioned that not all the changes on the Democrats' agenda are negative for venture capital uh, in particular. So what are some of the positive things that you think the industry is bracing for over the next couple of years here?
3: Well, one thing that I think the venture community should really um, pay attention to is immigration. Immigration was under a lot of attack under the previous administration, but Vice President Harris has said that one of the administration's first orders of business will be to deal with immigration. And a lot of this has to do with citizenship and green cards, and she's talked about providing the vaccine to immigrants. But something that that is of real importance for the venture community, especially early stage, is immigrant entrepreneurs. You know, When Biden was vice president, the administration rolled out the Startup Visa Act of 2011, and during the Trump administration, which tried to squash the international entrepreneur rule. You know, it took a federal court order to kind of put that into effect. And what it does is it grants an entrepreneur, an immigrant entrepreneur, two years of citizenship while they work on their startup here in the U.S. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of attention put to immigrant startups, and the venture community might gravitate towards that. You're going to hear, for example, that Moderna, the vaccine maker, was founded by immigrants. You know, you're, I think we're just going to hear a lot more, you know, anecdotes like that, and, and a lot more attention to you know, innovation and immigrant startup entrepreneurs and just seeing and hearing a lot from the administration about what we can do to support them and kind of turn the tide of what we have been experiencing the previous four years.
0: Great. Thanks a lot. And uh, there's certainly a lot to, to consider here. And I think we'll definitely need to reconvene as some of these issues come to light, I think. But before we go, let's just go around the table real quick to hear final thoughts.
2: Chris, maybe we start with you again uh, the, the main thing I think private equity should be watching for is this Elizabeth Warren proposal that's the thing that I think we need to watch for the first half of the year and see what happens with that and where that goes if it goes anywhere the other thing will be assessing the SEC Gary Gensler gets in I don't think I don't think private equity really knows Gary Gensler I, I haven't really found anything he said about private equity so it's hard to say exactly uh, his thoughts on on the industry so that will be interesting too is, is uh, the direction and shape of of SEC and its priorities going forward. And Graham,
0: what are the things that you're going to be looking out for in the next uh, few months? Well, I guess I'd I'd expect
1: to see hopefully or potentially some clarity from the Department of Labor under a new administration as to uh, how they feel about ESG investing. They came out with some guidance last year that through a bit of confusion on a lot of industry as to what their priorities should be, their returns or their social and environmental commitments in their investment activities. So I, I think we'll, we're likely to probably see a bit more clarity on that from a new DOL. And I think that we'll we probably expect to see some initiatives on that probably from an SEC as, as well.
0: Great, thank you, Graham. And, and Alistair, what are you gonna be looking for over the coming months here as the Biden administration takes its seat?
3: Well, first and foremost, from what I hear from my sources and from the people I talk to is, you know, priorities, you know, let's get the pandemic and vaccine distribution under control. You know, I think that's first and foremost on everyone's mind, you know, before talking about startup innovation and immigration and tax reform. Then there's two other things I think just briefly I want to mention. One is, you know, tech innovation outside the main center. So, you know, I'm talking about the Midwest. I'm talking about Florida. I'm talking about emerging startup hubs. You know, I see signs that there are indications that this administration is going to be very open to supporting innovation hubs, you know, in forgotten uh, Midwest flyover states, you know, the incoming chief staff, Ronald Klein did a stint of work for um, Revolution, Steve Case's venture fund. They invest in growth deals. They also have a, a rise of the REST fund, which invests in the Midwest. And this administration is going to be very open to supporting entrepreneurship outside of Silicon Valley, outside of New York and Boston and other tech centers. And then just to end on an ominous note, and we haven't discussed this much, one thing that the venture community is going to be watching out for is what is going to be their stance on big tech and, you know, antitrust issues. You know, we're just coming off of the plaid visa deal getting squashed. You know, what's next? Is that going to create a chilling effect? How's that going to impact m and You know, obviously, uh, you know, the pandemic and, and other issues are paramount, but something's going to have to give something. There's going to have to be clarity when it comes to antitrust issues. And the venture community is looking for that type of clarity.
0: Great. Thanks to all of you for joining today. And thanks to all the listeners for joining us today as well for this special political edition of the Spotlight podcast. I'm Chase Collum, Special Projects Editor at PEI Media.